Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Earn Fun Average Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Crawford, coming to you from Wichita, Kansas. And with me, as always, I have Johnny Bowen live tonight, of course, as always, from the New Orleans Baby Cakes Memorial Museum and Podcast Communication Center. And with us today, we have a special guest. We have author Ann Arkeen. How are you, Ann? Ann is great from Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. All right. Perfect. Well, we just appreciate you joining us. So, and you wrote a book called The Cloudbuster Nine, uh, The Untold Story of Ted Williams and the Baseball Team That Helped Win World War II. So can you just give us a little bit of an overview about that book? Well, the, the premise of the book, it was actually inspired by my father, who was a bat boy for a famous team of uh, Navy pilots in training. They weren't flying yet, but I knew he was the mascot for the base. His father was one of the commanders of the base. This was during World War II in Chapel Hill. I knew the family had loads of scrapbooks and pictures. He talked about it, but I'd never really opened the box. And when my father passed away, and as you know, he was a professional baseball player at, at one time, I wanted to just retell this childhood story. So I started poking around and lo and behold, I found out that, yeah, he was the mascot of the base, but it was just the luminaries who were in Chapel Hill training for this job during World War II. And the team that he bat boyed for, half of them really were major leaguers in 1943. Ted Williams, Johnny Pesky, Buddy Hassett. I mean, you name it from almost every major league team of the time. And then you take football, you, you couple, you know, Bear Bryant was there. Uh, Gerald Ford, George Bush, Ronald Reagan even came through as an entertainer, uh, Jack Dempsey. I mean, it's just incredible that the men who were on this base, and that's really what inspired the book, was um, when I told the story at the funeral in Hickory, North Carolina, which was packed. Everyone came to see see the family and to um, pay their respects to my dad. I stood up in the pulpit and I just told the story about the Bat Boy and the Cloudbuster Nine, assuming there were many books about this and there were not. Therefore, alas, we have the Cloudbuster Nine. Well, I appreciate you giving us a little overview. Uh, and one of the first segments we like to do is talk about what hats we're wearing. So can you tell everybody what hat you have on today? Well, I don't have many baseball hats, um, but my godson lives in Westport, Connecticut, and he attends a school. He t- attends Taft. It's it's a, a boarding school, and he is a pitcher. I believe he's a left-handed pitcher. And for my birthday, I believe, um, he sent me a baseball hat from Taft, and it's maroon. I love it. Um, he's a freshman there, and I recently went on a trip, and um, my hair wasn't looking great, and so I put the hat on, and what fascinated me was all these people walked up to me in the airport. I was actually on vacation in Hawaii and they'd say, what What are you doing wearing this hat from the Northeast? And, and they wanted to hear the story. And it was just so interesting because I wasn't aware of it, that it was on my head, but it's a great hat. I love it. So that is the hat I'm wearing today in honor of Christian. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Mr. Bullen, what are you wearing today? Well, in honor of our guest and the subject of World War II baseball, I'm in full attire. 1942 New Orleans Pelicans. And I want to tell the listeners, I was not at the game in 1942. I may sound like that. I may feel like that, Eric Prophet, and I am, but I, I was not there. I didn't buy this from the team shop in 1942. Uh, this, The hat, of course, is 47 brand, purchased from the Baby Cake shop a few years back. And then the jersey is from uh, Ebbetsfield Flannels that I've had. I've had this jersey for probably early 2000s. Is that so, a blue blend jersey? 
Uh, no, ma'am, it's not. Thankfully, it's not. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't kinda, believe they wore those things. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. Yeah, it's it's just regular like jersey material. And I love the Pelicans on the bat. You know, they were obviously a Cardinals affiliate. So they tied into the Cardinals look in the 40s when they were affiliated with St. Louis. And so I wanted to get into this is the only second time I've worn a jersey. Uh, on the Earn Fun Average podcast to get into the spirit and tribute to our guest tonight. You look really sharp, Johnny. And I am wearing the Bluxy Shuckers. Uh, Mr. Bowen was kind enough to send this to me. It's uh, kind of one of their identities. It has a lighthouse on it. Uh, it's kind of a, a light gray, uh, blue brim, and has some water underneath the lighthouse and then has the Bluxy B on it. So uh, we interviewed uh, a guy that worked for the Bluxy. Biloxi Shuckers a few weeks ago, Johnny Tribbett, and I didn't have any Biloxi Shuckers hat, so Johnny was kind enough to send me this uh, this hat, so that's what I have on today. That looks sharp. That really does look sharp. Yes, I love the hat. Uh, 47 brand, dad hat, very sharp looking hat, so I appreciate you sending that to me. Well, Anne, I wanted to ask a little bit, so you know, we talked briefly about your book, so can you just tell us a little bit about your career and as far as kind of becoming an author, kind of a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, growing up, I was pretty shy and I loved to go to the library in my little hometown, um, the Albert Ivy Library in Hickory. And they had a little corner there that had old life magazines. And I would sit there for hours and I would just read the old magazines and be quiet. So I've always loved reading. I love history. I love to look back in time. So I guess through college, I went to Carolina, uh, studied journalism and a wonderful school did some internships, uh, traveled, and then kind of found my my calling as a speechwriter. I worked on the Hill for a member of Armed Services, which taught me a whole lot about the military, which I don't think I could have done this had I not had that experience years ago. Uh, but really from there, I just kind of bounced around um, from lobbying, went into the corporate sector, did public relations. So I, I'm pretty much a public relations consultant. I still do that work. But I also still write. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Love to read books, love reading about sports and and history. That is great. And Johnny, I know you had some some questions about it. I know you want to ask about the the book itself. Well, as we've shared via via the Twitter world. I uh, saw that. Thank you. This book, your book, hit on so many levels. You know, I, I have a history degree from UAB, of course. That means I sold insurance after college, but that's either here nor there. <laughs> and then both of my grandfathers were in World War II. And it was always kind of interesting because my mom's dad loved to talk about it. Mm-hmm. He lived with us. And I, you know, I went to sleep at night hearing World War II stories. So did he serve in the war? Yes, yes, ma'am. Both he grandfathers. Love to talk about it. That that's unusual. Love, love to talk about it. One of my most prized possessions is the bronze star uh, that he was given. And I have that in my office next door. And then my other grandfather, they said, would never never want to talk about it. Both served right. in these two different theaters. Mm-hmm. In fact, my late grandmother said that anytime he had heard a loud noise, yep. he would dive under a table. And, mm-hmm. po- you know, they didn't call it post-traumatic stress syndrome back then. And so with both grandfathers in World War II, my wife got me your book last Christmas dove into it. And like I said, just so many different levels, having grandfathers uh, mm-hmm. that served. Uh, I took a World War II class as part of my, my history studies at UAB. 
Now, this is less than 50 years since the war ended. You know, this is early 90s. Mm-hmm. And we have a lady in the class whose late husband had served in World War II. She was just taking the class. Mm-hmm. And she would bring artifacts from World War II to a class about World War II. And the most beautiful thing she brought was this Japanese officer's side saber. It was wow. so ornate. And I mean, the, the mm-hmm. artistry on that weapon was mm-hmm. just unbelievable. And she would argue with the professor who did not live through World War II like she had. She brought the star that people would put in their windows when they had you know, a loved one serving in World War II. And it was just fascinating to have that class, something that she had lived through. And then uh, as we mentioned before we started recording, Bear Bryant. I grew up in Alabama. You know, uh, I was 11 years old when he passed away. I grew up idolizing Bear Bryant like most most kids growing up in Alabama in the 70s did. And then I always have been fascinated by Ted Williams. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned the book, you had talked to Claudia. What were those conversations like about her dad? Well, they're, they're a very private family, which I respect. And um, I think the I was trying to reach out to the family, actually, just to share some images that I was able to gather from the University of Chapel Hill archives, because there are images of Ted Williams everywhere. But I knew for a fact that these had not been widely circulated. And I had some questions. I thought, you know, I wonder if the family knew much about his time because it was so cryptic. Like it was so it was not covered thoroughly. Like there was so much about his life that was covered. And this this seemed to be a window in time that there was just I couldn't fill in the details. And so I reached out to the Hitter Museum and I spoke with a, a very nice woman, one of the um who was working with a family. And I don't remember the circumstances, but I I believe I spoke with Claudia by phone immediately after that. She's lovely. And she's, she's within our age range and she's just so much of her father. Like um, she was very emotional about this. Her mother had just passed away and we talked, I would say more as just people. Cause I, I didn't honestly know enough about baseball to, to really understand the magnitude, frankly, of, of, the subject matter, you know, and the legacy with her father. I mean, I knew he was a wonderful man, a hero and a a Marine combat pilot. But to hear her, uh, you know, she reacted to the picture. She had never seen most of them. And and it was just like daughter to daughter, frankly, is, is what I felt like it was. But she's a lovely person. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that her interactions her comments about her father that you shared in the book. And also, this may sound strange, when you were talking about going to your parents' house, it reminded me of going to my grandfather's house. Right. The smells, again, about Bear Bryant. Years ago, my wife and I went to the Bryant Museum in Tuscaloosa, and they recreated his office. Oh, I yeah, I think it's still, is it still there? I, I believe so. And, and yeah. It, I, if, if anybody ever goes to Tuscaloosa, you know, uh, I, I think it was like two or three dollars. It was very affordable to go in. And oh, yeah, they're on, wonderful. I'm working with them a little bit on some things. Oh, uh, it was it was a really, really neat museum. And I love museums. But on his desk was the same ashtray that Grandpa Bolin had in his house. So when you were when you were sharing about going home. Oh, yeah. And the nicotine. <laughs> and, it was and that, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. And that reminded me, that sparked a memory, personal memory of 
going to Grandpa Bowen's house. He's been gone now almost 33 years. I was so eight. What did he smoke? What was his 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 choice cigarette? I imagine he had to be a camel man. I imagine <laughs> it was from, both of my grandfathers, you know, like I said, were World War II vets, both worked in plants and coal mines and were just great men, but tough. You know, oh, they tough, incredible. You know, that greatest generation, you know, and they just they were just both tough, tough as nails. Mm-hmm. And I imagine he it was unfiltered probably camels. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember they had, it was an Alabama elephant over a white ashtray. that was at the Bryant Museum. And, and just, you know, like I said, the story you told about finding that box and sharing your dad's story. And it just very, very inspirational, very touching story. Uh, when I finished the book, I went on, I looked up your dad on baseballreference.com. And he had pitched for my hometown, Birmingham Barons. Right. And uh, Eric and I talk on a regular basis about, uh, we met in May at Rickwood Field. And of course, that's where your dad would have played baseball was at Rickwood Field Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1950s. So there was a connection to the Birmingham Barons by telling, you know, with your your dad's story. And so Mm -hmm. I guess I wanted to ask you this question. What, What was the biggest challenge and what was the biggest blessing of telling his story? I think one of the the big challenges was the information was inconsistent in like even baseball games, you'd see a score and then you'd read it again and it was another score and the names were misspelled and changed and switched around. And I, it was not like reporting today. What I learned was resources were so limited during the war. Ink was limited. Paper was limited. Reporters, the editor of the, the Greensboro Daily News or the record, chances are you were in the Pacific. Therefore, the staff, they had a staff of reporters and often teenagers, from, from what I've learned, were doing the reporting, covering sports. And so my point is I had to check everything I could find. And therefore, that's why you see so many footnotes in the book, because I thought, well, this can't be right. And I would check it again. And then on the third time, I usually went with the third one if it was consistent. But yeah, the the information, digging through and getting these images, which were rare, that was the most rewarding part. But that was difficult. I mean, I spent weeks and weeks in libraries and I, and I had kind of a magic bullet. I, I met a woman named Lori Miller. She owns a company called Redbird Research. And she lives in the St. Louis area and the the National Archives are there for all the military veterans. And she was the one who was my finder. That was a huge challenge. She, I would say, was one of the major breakthroughs of the book because I said to her, oh, do you think you could find something on Ted Williams or Johnny Pesky? And one day a box, like a shirt box, arrived on my doorstep and I could not believe it. It was literally probably a hundred pages from, you know, Johnny saying Ted Williams, all their records and oh, I, wow. they were widely distributed and they were there. It's all good. There's nothing bad there, but it's, it's all just military records. And it, it opened up a passageway and I walked through their, their military career. I could see where they started, where they signed up, where they enlisted, uh, where they were stationed, their grades, medical information, you know, about vision, standard military information. But I also got um, a friend to help me interpret this information just to make sure it was correct. But again, that was a challenge um, and it was quite rewarding. Um, and did you ask me about what the most rewarding thing was? Right. Now, your biggest blessing. 
this work. Yeah, I think that with my father, like he was a big storyteller, popular, a nice man, a, a, a guy's guy. But there was a soft spot with him. And I knew he got hurt. I knew he quit baseball, but he never, all he ever talked about baseball, but he never specifically told me what happened. And so when I read it, I realized how good he really was. And that to me was really redeeming. And I did tell that story at his funeral because I I think people knew, but he was much better than I ever thought he was. But it was just knowing how badly he wanted that. But also it was really rewarding to see that the people that he was exposed to. I mean, when you're 10 years old, what does that do to your psyche when you around people like Eddie Rickenacker and you're riding on a bus with with Johnny Pesky and Ted Williams and Bear Bryant. You, you meet him, he comes over to your parents' house for dinner. I mean, and then there are other people like John Glenn, who was up at Iowa pre-flight. But so, you know, what happens to a kid who sees this, the best athletes in the world, the most famous coaches of their time, and then you have to grow up and be an adult. And so nothing is ever as good. So I, I had compassion for that. It's a heart-touching story. It, like, like I said at the beginning of our time talk, it's, it's just so many levels you hit in that book. That is, besides the history, the baseball history, which I love, the personal connection that you share with your father, that story. Like I said, both grandfathers were veterans in World War II. Uh, study, having a history degree, studying American studies, you know, in college was sort of my emphasis with my degree. And it was, it's such a brilliant book. And you are a fantastic storyteller. Like I said, you, you you brought me back to a place, to the smells and sounds and place. And and, and that's something that great storytellers do. And, and, and you, you know, it just, like I said, I just connected. I may be rambling tonight, Mr. Prophet, but I just, uh, just loved your book. I oh, just absolutely. I, and I, I read a lot, especially baseball, baseball books. That's kind of my so I have two types of reading. I, I do stuff for the pastor world, theological stuff, stuff on the Bible. Think, but for my like relaxing reading, it's baseball books. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm reading a couple books all the time, and, and you know, and and uh, I just absolutely loved it. It was just, and, and again, it's such a pleasure to meet you and have you be on tonight. And I, I would anybody would ask it. It's it's one of the best books I've read. Period. Well, thank you. It is it was it a is real gut buster to write. I can tell you that. <laughs> that killed me to do it. I, I bet. I mean, like you said, trying to get the research, trying to get the data uh, with all the all the stories that you're telling. And I, I just think that's just, just a, a fascinating era in American history as well. As we talked about the greatest generation and the, the generation that had survived the Depression and survived World War II. And, mm-hmm. You know, I've had the pleasure over the years, 25 years plus of church work. Those folks that, that live through all that, mm-hmm. they have a different gear. Oh, you know that's precisely what I've been writing about. They just have a toughness, a determination because of all that they went through in their younger days. And they just and sadly, we've we've lost so many people from that generation. Mm-hmm. But with the ones that I had the pleasure to be around that lived through World War II and the Great Depression and, and all that they endured, there there's something different about them mm-hmm. The people of my generation. I'm going to sound like an old man, I am, but younger generations. Oh, you know, yeah. It's just not the same. And I guess it's just from that experience 
of going through all that, that that molded their toughness and determination and older people with health challenges. And a lot of the times they were just, I'm not worried about it. where a family might be like, oh my goodness, look what's happening to grandmother and look what's happened to dad. And, but they were just tough as nails. Well, you know, I'm working on a story now, which it was going to be a second book actually, but it got stalled with COVID because I couldn't contact these people. But I had gotten halfway through the last 60 surviving major leaguers who served during World War II. This is in 2018. Halfway through. We're down to a dozen. Oh, goodness. I I was able to meet a few in person. But what I've learned is is you can't, to to capture the the personalities and the character of these men, you you really kind of need to look them in the eye, in my opinion. You can't because they tell, you know, the same stories over the radio. The phone will work, but the best way to to really touch in with who they are is to meet them in person. And, and I'm working on a story now about the nine values that I came away with from these these gentlemen. The way I see it is they are real men. They are fearless. That's the first value. Live fearlessly. And again, you know, they came up in the old wooden ballparks and Red Barber Radio, you know, when when hot dogs were two cents. I mean, they they just came from a completely different world. They grew up in the Depression. Some of them worked on farms uh, where their families were sharecroppers. Some of them uh, worked in factories as children. Most of them had high school education. Some of them, you know, played ball in college. But they they grew up and they played the game like little boys, okay? And then by the time they reached the major leagues, they still had that little boy aspect to them, but also a generation. They all served. When war came, they enlisted. They were proud to do it. A lot of them, they, they served all over the world. But when I spoke with some of the old timers, like Tommy Lasorda or Carl Erskine or Eddie Robinson, they they didn't really want to talk so much about winning pennants. They got very teary eyed to talk about their buddies in the war, whether they served in the Army or the Navy in the Pacific or the Marine Corps. They they wanted to talk about their friends, but they also often broke down a little and they talked a little bit about their their family and the people who didn't come back. So they never forgot that is what I'm saying. And Eddie Robinson was the t- one of the toughest. He passed away about a year and a half ago at age 100. He was determined to live to 104. <laughs> I mean, he was one of my favorites. He was like Steve McQueen. Super <laughs> cool, tough, barely walked with a cane, handsome, a wonderful storyteller. But, you know, I interviewed him during COVID and and I said, well, aren't you afraid? And he's like, hell no, I'm not afraid. You know, I just wear masks. Through this, I mean, they all said that. Even Vin Scully, I, I had the privilege to speak with him a couple years ago uh, at the peak of the pandemic, and he was very optimistic. Other value, they're they're very optimistic. They feel like as a country together, we can survive any challenge. I mean, there's no doubt with any of these people. It was, of course, we'll get through this. And you know, and Vin Scully reflected on World War II, and I think he said, you know, America rose like a tiger. We banded together. And they still, you know, convey that spirit, but they're they're also very focused people. And one of the segments we do is the profit and loss, and the profit is something that you've gained or earned uh, by either being a you know a fan of baseball, fan of sports in general, being an author, anything you can think of as far as a profit or gain. I think that I learned. I appreciate discipline more. Um, a lot of the the people I've I encountered, they were athletes. A lot of the men that I've been interviewing lately are in their eighties and their nineties, and they. Um, you know, just talk about being physically fit. And so I, I just really value that more. I don't take it for granted. 
I think that's important just about getting up early in the morning. I'm a creature of routine and habit. So again, I have more of appreciation for that as I get older. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. And then on the reverse is the loss. Any loss you can think of, whether that comes to being an author, writing about baseball, anything like that? Um, yeah, I have lost a lot of people to death over the past couple of years. And, you know, it's sad when you write a book and you you know you've you've got people in their 90s, you know it's gonna happen, but then it happens and it's very sad. They were my friends and it's still happening. You know, and so it's just something that that I have to accept with the work that I do. And I'm just trying to get every scrap of information, every memory I can from this generation before they're they're all gone. Because, again, I'm working with some of the oldest players, you know, well into their 90s, just trying to extract those memories. But again, um, attrition and death is just all part of it. And it is a loss. It makes me very sad. Yeah, for sure. Definitely understand that. Well, Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on tonight, getting to talk about you, getting to talk about your book. Can you tell anybody where they can find the Cloudbuster 9 if they want to order it? Sure. Um, they can go to Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. But also, people, if you want me to sign a book plate, people can certainly shoot me a note. And my email address is books at Ann rkeen.com and it's books at a-n-n-e-r-keen.com so again just shoot me a note you can find that on my website and uh but pretty much every bookstore has it a lot of local bookstores like here in austin book people of course some of the smaller bookstores in you know various towns so and it's available in audio as well and kindle uh, the paperback is the best version. I'll tell you, um, they printed, that's been the bestseller. I've been selling a lot of those. So, and hopefully this will be made into a film. Awesome. And I'll have some news there at some point. That would be great. Oh, is there anywhere people can follow you? You know, you mentioned your website, anything yeah. on Twitter that people can follow along? Yeah, um, my Twitter's not, I don't tweet a whole lot. Um, I'm starting Instagram. My Facebook is good. Uh, that, that's that been where, if I have something I really want to say, um, like I just found um, Vin Scully's military records, and I've written a story about that for Navy Times, and that should be coming out this week, and I'll post that on Facebook. But you can just find me at uh, Ann R. Keen author. And um, you'll find me on Facebook there. Well, again, it's been such a pleasure. Make sure you go out, get Anne's book. Make sure you follow her. Keep up to date with what she has going on and make sure you follow us as well. We're both on Instagram and Twitter as Earn Fun Average. Average is AVG. And Anne, just thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been wonderful, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anne, for being, being with us tonight. Johnny, would you mind taking us out, please, sir? Yeah, and we do this uh, signature sign-off every night. It's our, our slogan, our theme, America, lower your standards. Average is what these guys do best. 